In this episode, we got to start giving no update updates because when or where there is no communication, negativity fills the void. Welcome. You're listening to the Collision Buzz podcast presented by Driven Brands, the largest automotive franchise organization in North America. I'm your host, Ron Zapatello, bringing over 25 years of collision repair experience. The Collision Buzz is a show that dives into the auto body repair industry in support of the independent body shop owner. Each episode features guest leaders and operators from all aspects of the collision repair industry to discuss the challenges, solutions, and insights that have helped them in their journey to success. Stay tuned each month for new episodes to come. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Ron Zapatello, and I'm super excited for today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking with fellow coaches. And before I introduce our very special guest, I'd like to take a few moments to introduce my fellow coaches from Driven Brands Collision Group. So uh, today with us, we have Eric Long from Fix Auto. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, good morning, everyone from sunny Southern California. I've started in this industry roughly 2006, worked for one of the larger insurance carriers for roughly eight years, then made the switch to another insurance carrier before I came on over to Fix Auto USA. And I cover 43 stores in Southern California and one in Colorado. Wow, that's a lot of stores. Also with us today, we have Chris Joko from Abra. Good morning, everyone. I've been in the industry, started as a technician and a painter back in the 80s. So I dated myself there a little bit. <laughs> um, I came to Abra in 2004 as an estimator, decided to get out of the technician side of it and became general manager of stores and then became what we call the district manager, the current position basically I have now. And been part of the Driven Brands team since 2019 when Driven acquired Abra. So it's been a good experience and looking forward to the growth here with Driven Brands. Awesome. And I'm with Carstar, but we're all coaches. We're all the same kind of deal. We're FPMs or what we call in the Driven Brands family, a field performance manager. And we work all together doing the same thing, coaching shops for profitability and for efficiency. So thanks for joining us. And a man who needs no introduction for our industry anyways, Mike Anderson, who is the owner of Collision Advice, had shops of himself and now has joined us in the consulting roles. He is uh, one of our very awesome industry speakers. Mike, I'm glad to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me this morning. Thanks, Mike. We're just going to hop in it and get kind of started here. And since you see a lot more shops across the country than we do. We see our own specific shops in, in specific areas. We just kind of like some of your take on some of this stuff. So you were recently at the CarStar and Abra conferences and soon will be attending the FIX conference. So when I was listening to you, your theme was growing your team. So tell me a little bit about that. Why did you choose that for 2022? Why do you think that's important? You know, so that's a great question. And again, thank you so much for having me. And I really appreciate and value the relationship I have with the Driven Brands family. So thank you so much. So, you know, we live in a world today where everybody has work. I mean, as I travel around the country, you know, by the end of this year, I will have been on the road. 322 days. And I actually just got back from Australia yesterday. So as I travel, the not just the country, but the world, what I find is that everybody has a backlog of work. I mean, everybody is busy, but what everybody doesn't have is people or staffing. 
So the reality is, if somebody really wants to dominate in their market, right, I'm not talking about just winning, I'm talking about dominating, they really need to figure out how to grow their team. Now, grow your team could mean growing your existing staff, helping them to, you know, refine their skills or learn how to work smarter, not harder, or doing a gap analysis to determine where maybe they have some weakness at in regards to using your management system or estimating or whatever that case may be, right? So growing your team, number one, could be helping your existing staff to get better at what they do. Maybe it's helping that, you know, apprentice to learn to become a full-fledged tech. The other way of growing your team is obviously to bring on new hires, bring someone on outside your organization in and whether it's somebody with experience or somebody that's, you know, uh, entry level and how do we fast track them? And so I firmly believe that the, and my theme for the conference was grow your team to grow your business and change the way you compete. So I truly believe that the business owner or manager that can grow their team, again, either helping their current staff to get better at what they do or bringing in somebody new from outside the organization is going to grow their business because it takes people to fix cars. It takes people to write estimates. So it's really, really the key. And I think not just growing your team, but also growing and and improving your culture. I think that would really be with it as well. Yeah. I I love the culture piece because that's because without the culture, how is that team going to grow? Those people are going to choose to leave and go somewhere else, right? Yeah. I mean, I think today, right, people, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on what side of the coin you're on, people have choices on where they can work at, right? And there's a lot of options out there for them. So, you know, I, I think it's important that people don't just love their job, but they love the organization. And I think that's something we really need to think about, right? Not that just they just love their job, right? They might love being a technician, but they really love the organization, the company they work for, the people they work with. I mean, we're probably with our our work family more than they're with our you know our own family, right? So you got to really love the organization, the people that you work with. Mike, I just got a question. We touched on growing your teams and helping your current existing teams, but what I see is a lot of my stores are in rural areas. Very difficult to grow your team. There's not a lot of opportunities and people to choose from. And, you know, you have shops that are over capacity, understaffed. They don't have a real opportunity to grow your team. Employees are frustrated, cases of burnout. Uh, how do we stress? How do, yeah, stress. How do we coach to that? That seems to be a big challenge. Any ideas on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I will tell you that, you know, burnout and stress is, you know, it's been rampant in our industry ever since I came in the industry as an adult in November of 1985. And I think that we have to build a work environment where people don't get burned out. So what I did when I had my shops, and I've done this with a lot of my clients, is that, for example, everybody that worked for me got a three-day weekend once a month, right? So we ran what was called a team or a cell system. So every single person, whether it was the person in the wash rack, an estimator, a CSR, or a technician, everybody got one Friday off once a month so they could have a three-day weekend, right? And so that helped us to avoid burnout. It helped us to avoid stress because it seemed like just whenever you got to that breaking point, your three-day weekend came up, right? It was just enough to recharge your batteries. And I can tell you, I have implemented that team or cell system where they can, you know, if you're you're running a team or cell system, then you can offer that to your teammates, right? Where they can have one Friday off once a month, and we've seen that improve morale. I'll give you an example. I was I'm working with a shop in North Carolina right now, and they recently just went to a um, true story. Right, they were doing approximately eight hundred thousand a month in sales. They actually went to a four day work week for their technicians, and they've broken a million a month in sales every month for the last two months with no additional staff. 
So I think that a lot of times we think, well, man, I'm going to lose that one day of production, right? But sometimes, you know, your team, uh, they'll figure it out, right? And it's all about morale. Now, again, they have a four-day work week for their technicians. But what they do is they've got nine technicians in their shop. So every Friday, one technician does work. So they rotate every nine weeks. So they're there if there's any, you know, instances where a customer's picking up a car or whatever. And their admin team is, is there on those Fridays, right? But I think we've got to look at how we can offer you know, four day work weeks or one Friday off once a month or something like that, or even flexible work hours to help our team avoid that burnout. Right. And then in, re- in regards to rural areas too, because uh, I think you mentioned that as well, Chris, is I think we also have to think outside the box for recruitment. Like so many people, I, I always have a saying that I don't believe in stealing fish from another man's pond. Right. So I don't like to take somebody that worked for someone else. Not to say that I wouldn't, but that's not my preference. Right. But I think we have to think outside the box. Like, for example, when I had my shops, one of the things I did was I recruited retired firefighters and police officers. You know, a lot of firefighters, uh, they retire or police officers like in their, you know, 40s or late 40s, early 50s. And they just want something to kind of supplement their income. They don't need benefits. If you're a little bit slow, they're like, hey, I get a pension. Right. And I had two firefighters that worked for me that worked in my prep department for paint. I mean, they love the industry. They love cars, right? I had two retired police officers. One was actually a detective, and they actually worked for me doing disassembly and reassembly. And they were cool if I didn't have a lot of work and they had to take off. They were cool with that. They just wanted to kind of supplement their income. They were mature. They knew how to oversee younger apprentices, right? So I think we have to think outside the box in regards to that, right? And then, you know, where you're going to recruit at as well is think about places where you know, your employees hang out at? Where do your employees hang out at? Is it a, a hunting club? Is it uh, the racetrack? Is it the go-kart track? You know, recruit in bicycle shops, you know? I was with a, uh, a shop the other day, and what they do is they actually go into the middle schools, middle school, right? Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and they actually take in these go-kart kits where the kids actually get to put tools in their hand and, like, build a go-kart. So they're, like, getting wrenches and screwdrivers in the hands of kids that are in middle school and planting that seed before they even get to high school that, hey, I love working with my hands, right? So I think thinking outside the box, whether you're in a rural area or a metropolitan area, you know, is think outside the box to where you might be able to recruit people at. So sorry if I'm rambling a bit too much, Chris. I, I don't know if I I don't know if I answered your question or not. No, oh, yeah, definitely. Keep keep going. <laughs> you know, I think you hit it on the head, Mike. I mean, when you're talking about middle school, some people might be, wow, that's way too early kind of thing. But I don't think so. I don't think so. I think in today's age where, you know, the last, I don't know how many ever years, it's been ingrained to children coming to be adults that you need to go to college, you need to, you know, get in debt, right? It's been so ingrained that we're losing a lot of people, whereas some of our tech kids coming into tech schools, and they graduate with very minimal debt. Sometimes even our our shops are willing to pick up the tab on some of that stuff uh, as part of a retention bonus, right? Yeah, well, that's where there's what's called the collision engineering program, right? Which Enterprise Rental Car Company is financially supported, right? I think they've put over contributed over $3 million to this program. And the collision engineering program is an eight-week on, eight-week off program. So a student go and a student could be an adult, right? Somebody get out of the military or somebody that's looking for a career change, or it could be a young person. And they go for eight weeks and they learn like a hundred percent assembly. Then they get to go work in the shop for eight weeks and apply what they learned. Then they go back for eight weeks, they learn minor repair, right? And one of the things that makes that program really unique is the eight week on, eight week off program. But I have right now, I mean, I've got several of my 
shop clients who they've actually sent their sons or daughters to that program. Now, let's say you recruited someone that I'll give you a very good example, right? So we, I'm in my office right now in Southern Maryland. And uh, the other night I was working late and I walked outside and there were a bunch of young kids that had these like low rider Asian vehicles like Hondas and Toyotas. And they were parked out in front of my office building. And I went out there and I started talking to them about cars and they was like, yeah, we love cars. I'm like, well, did you consider going to school to learn to like learn collision repair? Like, well, I really can't afford it. And I said, well, here's the deal, right? We can get you in collision engineering program. You get a, you get a, a government grant. And then what happens is as long as you're working for an employer and those eight weeks, you're doing a good job, the employer makes the college payment for you, right? So the student has a skin in the game because they get the loan, the student loan. But as long as they're working for you, you make the payment for them. So again, I, I think it's just really hanging out at the right place. You know, one of the other things, and again, I'm just trying to throw out ideas here is like when I have my shops, our local community had an event called Art on the Avenue, which is where this whole block just dropped down and or, or they shut it off and they had like this big block party for artists. Well, what I did was I actually bought a, a BMW and painted it all white and I took it to Art on the Avenue and I just let kids come up and draw on it. And while the kids were draw, drawing and painting on this white BMW, I was able to engage the parents about what the income levels were for our stuff and dispel a lot of those myths. Bring in the scout troops where they have like the Pinewood Derby races at your shop. Because I think we it's also getting to the students, whether in middle school, but also getting to the parents to dispel the myths and let them know what their son or daughter could be making. Yeah, I totally agree. Let me ask you something that we're talking about employees, we're talking about getting them. And at conference, you you hit about, you know, growing your business with multiple locations and why you think that's important for a career path. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So a couple of things. Number one is, you know, it makes sense to try to have multiple locations because it's economies of scale, right? You can start to centralize and distribute the cost of your marketing expense across multiple locations, or you can distribute the cost of, I don't know, even recruitment right across multiple locations. But the other thing is, too, is that today's uh, younger generation, they want a career path, right? And there's several companies, Indeed, Monster, they've all done these studies that say, especially coming out of of COVID, right, coming out of coronavirus, is that all people today, they want a career path. They don't want to feel like they're just going to be stuck somewhere forever. And if you're a single location, they may feel like, you know, hey, the painter's 32. I'm never going to get a chance to be a painter here. Right. So right. you got to you got to you got to present your vision to people. Right. Like I always told my people, don't ever think that because somebody else is, you know, in a position, you're never going to get a chance if they're young, because if you get trained, I'll go open up another location. I'll find another store. So you have that. But I, I don't recall the exact statistics, but I want to say it was like 86 percent of you know people today looking for a job. The number one thing to them was, is there a career path? Do I have a way to go? But I think also, you know, and this is very sad for me. I was at a conference recently and um, I don't recall what conference it was, but I had a gentleman that came up to me and he said that, you know, he was working in a shop and he didn't want to be a technician anymore. He wanted to be an estimator. And the owner of the collision repair shop said, well, if I let you become an estimator, like I won't have a body tech. I can't do that. And he was penalizing the person because he was so good at his job that that person eventually quit and they went to work somewhere else where they could be an estimator. So I think that, you know, communicate to your team that, look, if I don't have a position here for you and you get better, we'll go find another location. But I think right now I'm advising all my clients to grow. 
right? I mean, grow. Now is the time to grow. Look for additional opportunities, additional locations. And again, you know, get that career path going in your shop, right? I was working with a client of mine also recently. And one of the things that this client does is that they tell their body techs, if you train an apprentice, whenever that apprentice goes on their own, I'm going to give you a $15,000 bonus, right? Wow. So if I, I'm, I'm training, if I'm training like two body techs, and they both go on their own in three years, they're going to get, I'm going to get $30,000 bonus, right? So there's some incentive there for that technician to want to train people from a financial standpoint, right? So I have another shop that they told the technicians that, hey, if you train an apprentice, the first year they go on their own, you'll get like, you know, $2 an hour for every hour of labor they produce for the first year. So, I mean, I think, again, it's thinking outside the box. Another thing I've been seeing a lot lately is retention bonuses, Right. We hear about I got a text from one of my shop clients this morning that was telling me how one of the large national consolidators was offering signing bonuses in their area. Right. Well, I said, why don't you offer a retention bonus? Right. I have a dealership shop that I work with in Nebraska. And what they do is if you're a body technician, they give you a dollar an hour as a retention bonus, a dollar an hour for every hour of labor you produce in a year. So let's say you produce 5,000 hours of body labor, a dollar an hour, your bonus is $5,000, but you don't get that until the following year on January 1st. So if I produce 5,000 hours of labor this year as a body tech, dollar an hour, $5,000 bonus, but I won't get that till January 1st, 2024. So I think we also got to start thinking about retention bonuses to offset some of these recruitment bonuses. Back to your original question, but growing, absolutely. It just, your economies of scale, own your market, career career path. It also helps you have more brand awareness in your area for consumers, right? They see a multiple locations, you know? It's funny, I was talking to Jimmy Spears, formerly of USAA, he's now attractable. But I remember when Jimmy was USAA, one of the things Jimmy told me is that whenever there was a hailstorm uh, and they were going to have independent appraisers in a market area for catastrophe, they would actually, even if it was an independent appraiser, they would have them put a USAA magnet on the side of the doors of their cars because USAA wanted to project some people driving around seeing these USAA signs that they were like, hey, somebody's here and we're kind of bigger than what we are, right? And I think that when you have multiple locations, you're also creating brand awareness with consumers that, hey, this, these people must be pretty good at what they do, but also for employees from recruiting. So just a question on that on multiple locations, Mike, similar to what I've heard other MSOs, and I know in the in this market up in Minnesota here, if you have multiple locations, do you think it's wise to specialize maybe at some of these locations, depending on carriers, kind of specialize in certain carriers at each one or so they're not kind of competing against each other, but so their people are trained and coached to minimal type of insurance programs. Let me add to that also car type, maybe like Tesla shop or GM shop kind of thing. OEM certs. Like a heavy hit or a, you know, Mm -hmm. smaller. Right. Yeah. So absolutely. So I think there's pros and cons to doing that. Right. I think there's absolutely pros and cons. You know, the pro is that your people, if they're writing for the same carrier every day or fixing the same OEM type of model, they're going to breed efficiency, right? Repetition breeds efficiency. They're going to get really good at it. If you're a DRP, it's probably going to positively impact your scores. The downside on that, obviously, is that when you do that, if there ever something happens, right? Like, let's say you want a low level of vehicle and that other store is a, you know, a DRP for that. It could impact your ability to load level, which could sometimes be beneficial. So there's pros and cons, but I will tell you, I had three locations and my first location just did European cars. My second location did domestics and my third location just did Asian. And I think as we see ADAS calibrations become more prevalent and the scan tools and the calibration equipment's required, I believe the pros outweigh the cons into having that specialized model. 
you know, whether it's with a carrier or, you know, an OEM manufacturer. So, Chris, my short answer to that would be yes. I think there's a lot of value to that. And, and especially, again, even more so on the I think there were always benefits probably from a carrier side. But today with the OEMs and the complexity of vehicles, right, it, it's becoming I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's becoming a bit more difficult to kind of know a lot about every single vehicle brand, right? But if I'm fixing the same type of vehicle, you kind of start, you know, knowing, understand how to get this bumper off or how to match the paint or how to use that OEM website, right, for research and repair procedures. So I think the short answer from my perspective would be yes, that that would make sense. So you just talked about OEM repair procedures. So I have a shop that's a Tesla shop and they have seven pages of repair procedures that they have to read just in order to take a door handle off. So, I mean, if they are specified in Tesla, let's say, then they are continually doing the same thing. Now they don't have to read seven pages every time. But for that shop that has multiple brands, they're going to have to refresh their mind every time they look at that and reread those procedures. So again, efficiency to what you said, Mike, I think that's for sure the case. Yeah. And I'll tell you where that, I think that becomes more important is that I, I believe we all know we're repairing less and replacing more, right? You know, like with ADAS, you can't repair as many bumper covers. So, you know, even though you focus on that, we're absolutely repairing less and replacing more. So as we replace more and repair less, technician efficiency start to drop, right? We start to see efficiencies drop because if you're replacing a door, you can only turn a wrench or a screwdriver so fast, right? So because of that, the ability to fix the same vehicle every single time, if we want to pick up those efficiency losses and we want to try to recap that somehow, re recoup that, I should say, knowing that I need a 10 millimeter or a Torx or whatever the case may be to get this part off because I've done a hundred of them, that's where we're going to pick up those efficiency gains again. So I think that when you you know, Chris, you bringing that up is as something people really that's a very, really good point, because I saw some statistics recently that, you know, for example, the average European vehicle on an estimate has almost seven more parts per car. The average like uh, Asian vehicle has like five more parts per car. So, again, as you know, we see more parts, less labor, we've got to find a way to help our technicians improve their efficiencies. And again, that's where doing the same make and model is going to help you to do that. So you hit on something else earlier when you were talking about cell system. And for some people that are listening, they might not understand. So when you're talking about cell system or labor segmentation, you're talking about like DFR and reassembly and body technician and maybe even broken down to a metal technician and frame technician, right? Yeah. So actually, it's even going deeper than that, Ron. It's actually even talking about streamlining the administrative processes, right? We know that in 2017, the average collision repair shop was spending around 10.3% of their sales on admin wages. And we know today that's closer to 14%. So that's improved just from you know a couple of years, we're spending almost 4% more of our sales on admin wages. And that directly impacts bottom line, right? That's a big deal. So how do we stabilize that, right? So I think it's not just the back of the shop, but it's also segmenting your office, right? Like, I don't know if you ever saw that movie with Brad Pitt called Moneyball, you know, where he was the manager of the Oakland A's and great movie, great book. And so I think that, you know, those days of having like 
three high paid estimators, we got to figure out how do we have tiered levels like you know that CSR and how do we take some of the things off of that really good estimator that we can put onto that CSR, right? And I, I put put it on. It's probably the poor choice of words, but you know how can we transfer some of those tasks, right? So we can max just like we've always maximized a painter in the paint shop. You know the prepper prep it, the painter in the booth spraying. How do we maximize that? That senior A tech, the highest skilled level body tech, how do we maximize their use of their time? But also, how do we do it with that estimator that really knows how to oversee 100% disseminate research of repair procedures? So absolutely, right? And, and I think also, let's go back to like the beginning of time, you know, back in the Roman Centuria days. How did you learn to be a stonemason? You work side by side with another stonemason. So I think we've got to find a way to be able to positively allow apprentices to work side by side with somebody that's really good at their job. And think about this more as a mentorship, you know, kind of way back when, when you work side by side with somebody to learn a a skill or a craft. And so, yeah, I think that segmentation, not just on the production side, but the administrative side is equally important. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, because I've seen that in a couple of my shops, especially with photo estimating, right? Coming through the CSRs, they're actually training them to now just do the photo estimates and then take it to the next step. They'll go have it reviewed by the estimator or a production manager just so they could start learning about the process. Because a lot of these CSRs, they come in, they've got great customer service experience, but they might not know anything about a car. It's a great idea. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, again, it goes back to that creating a career path where they start out as a CSR, then they move to like a front end estimator. And then maybe from there, they move to a back end estimator. From there, they move to a store manager. Or maybe they start out with parts and then they move to an estimator and then a store manager, right? So, again, it's creating that career path as we segment that out. I think that provides some opportunities for us. I have one other question for you, too. With the whole digital aspect going on with Photo estimating, heat mapping of vehicles. Do you think there's going to be any issue with estimators in the future maybe being removed from the role or maybe seeing less in the industry? No, I don't think so. I mean, you know, I've seen some of the artificial intelligence applications that are out there, but I still think it's going to still take some way that, you know, in, in a perfect world, could they do a lot that says, hey, every time you do this, you need this bumper and these clips? Absolutely. But with us today, you still take disassembling that vehicle and pre-measuring and pre-scanning and researching the DTC. And, and even when you identify there's a problem, you still got to figure out how to solve that problem, right? So do I think there are uses of technology that can help us to become more efficient at what we do? Absolutely, right? But I, I still think you're always going to need that person that has that expertise, you know, that knows how to repair a vehicle or, or more importantly, you know, diagnose something, right? And, and it's not just writing the repair plan, right? It's again, it's the whole negotiations piece and dealing with an insurer, communicating with a consumer and, and things of that nature. So uh, I know a lot of people would probably like that, but, and again, I, I, I hope I'll be wrong. I, I would love to be <laughs> wrong on that question. I'd actually be happy to be wrong on it, but I just still, as someone that writes estimates a lot, I just, just, there's so much, we still need that technical expertise, right? Well, I hope you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You know, it's a hard, with technology that's coming out there, it's, it's something that it could be a little bit better, but I don't know if they'll ever go away really, because you have to have that eyes on kind of thing, right? Yeah. I mean, I think right now the greatest gain is identifying total losses, right? Yeah. So, you know, obviously if you're not a DRP, 
then I think you need to be concerned because if AI can identify a total loss and you're a non-DRP and you're relying on that storage and teardown to make you profitable, yeah. that's going to be gone. You better figure out something. Right. On the flip side, if you're a DRP, you probably have a business agreement that you know you're not charging storage and you're, you're probably not being compensated for the total loss admin work. So to be able to identify that and get that out of your workflow, to get to into a job that is profitable, I think that's where we're going to see the gains at, right? Now, I right. do believe that looking at like what CCC's done with their new web-based estimating, I do think that there's some things where technology will help you to jumpstart the estimate. It identifies that, hey, this is a fender, so it automatically takes you to the fender section, and then it identifies for you and says, hey, think about like Apple Music, right? People that bought this song also bought this song, or people that like this movie also like this movie. I think those types of things... I think they're here now. It's not coming. It's here now. It's just uh, getting people also that are old school to be open to new technology uses. And I think that's a big challenge. I think all of us coaches see now is the old school trying to learn new habits. Yeah. I was speaking to a dealership shop this morning. He uh, actually, it's a, a dealership group and they've got, I don't know, several shops. And he hired somebody that was a manager for a rental car company. They just knew people, knew culture, had good management skills, good attention to detail, knew nothing about our industry. But he said that in six months, that person's killing it, right? So again, I think we also have to look outside the box in regards to when we're trying to hire that, you know, what's that saying? You can teach aptitude, but you can't teach attitude. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So, you know, back, you know, I hate to bring this up because I hate talking about it, honestly, but back when COVID hit, right? Seems like so you know, long ago, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> but it's still here, right? And yeah. But anyways, back then, a lot of my shops were struggling, right? We didn't have this work. We didn't have all this flood of work, right? And I kept telling them, just wait. It's like a tidal wave. It's all rushes out. And then all of a sudden, we're going to get hammered with all this work. Now that we've come to that, and this tidal wave has crashed on the shore with all this work that's abundant as ever. What do you think about that? Is that the new norm? How long is this going to last? I mean, these part issues, all that, you know, we've got shops out there that are trying to figure out a new process on how to pick up and deliver parts or pick up and deliver cars or, or doing flexible hours in their shop or pickup hours. What do you think about that, Mike? So I have a saying that says lots of sales cover lots of sins or lots of sales cover lots of mistakes. And I'll, I'll back that up with another saying that says pigs get fat and hogs get slaughtered. I think right now that everybody has an abundance of work that my concern for shops is they're going to get complacent or they're yes. going to have a false sense of security. Yes. They're like, man, I'm having record, I'm having record months in sales. And then they state they take their eye off the ball, like watching the receivables or watching their parts credits or given that exceptional customer service experience. Right. Like, you know, I was talking to a shop the other day and he was in this guy. His attitude was like, well, if that customer doesn't like it. I don't care. I'm booked out you know, three months. Yeah. But you, that, that's the wrong attitude to have. Right. I think that we have to be very careful that we don't allow ourselves to get a false sense of security and quit doing the things that made us successful. Right. Because, you know, God forbid another situation like COVID ever occurred. You don't want to lose those best practices. I think the other thing, too, with the abundance of work right now is scheduling is more important than ever before. And also going back to photo estimating. So I'm not talking about trying to negotiate and settle a $20,000 claim. I'm talking about, you know, when that customer contacts me, sending them the photo estimating app immediately so the customer feels like something's happening, the process is happening because customers want it, want it right now, right? And then I get those photos and then I schedule or triage my work in based on the skill set of my employees. So if I have a lot of new level apprentices, I need to schedule more work in that they can do so I can capitalize 
relies on this abundance of work. So I think understanding what your optimal whip is, looking at scheduling best practices. Yeah, you make hay when the sun's out, right? But I, I think that a lot of times right now, people are getting lulled into this false sense of security. And it's it's kind of concerning for me, to be honest with you. That's where they need a coach like you, you gentlemen, right? Somebody to, to hold their feet to the fire to make sure that they're not, you know, picking up bad habits or overlooking the things that made them successful. That's why I think the role of what each of you gentlemen do is actually really critical. It's it's not just, you don't just need a coach when you're not doing well. You need a coach when you're doing well to make sure you don't start picking up bad habits, right? Absolutely. Right. And that, that's a challenge out there right now, too, just because of the fact of delay on parts. And that's where I try to coach and talk to my shops on, but I still get the pushback. What am I supposed to tell the customer when I don't have an, anything change in two weeks, you know, on status? Yeah. So what we've done is, um, and I learned this from Ray Chu at CCC. He's a great friend of mine. And Ray Chu said, we got to start giving no update updates, right? No update updates. And then one of my team members, Cheryl Driggers, she uh, brought a quote to my attention and it said, where there is no communication, negativity fills the void. So I'm going to say that again. When or where there is no communication, negativity fills the void. So we think oftentimes that we tell the customer, hey, your part's on back order. It's not going to be in for two months or two weeks. And then we think, well, I told the customer I won't be in for two weeks. I don't need to talk to them for two weeks. But they're having anxiety during that time, right? Right. And I think what we have to do is we have to do a no update update. You know, hey, Chris, I'm just going to let you know. You know, I spoke to you on Monday. I said your part was on back order. I'm just letting you know nothing's changed. It's still on back order. And I think when we have supply chain challenges, which, by the way, when I talk to the OEMs, it sounds like that's not getting better until probably next year, right? That we have to do a better job of communicating when our part's on back order, I believe. So no update updates. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to part one of this two-part series. Stay tuned next month for part two of this episode. You're listening to the Collision Buzz podcast. Subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Facebook to connect with today's guests, engage in the community, and let us know what else you'd like to hear on upcoming episodes. 